Hello, I'm Nick DeSemlin and welcome to a very special Hobbit spoiler special podcast in which myself and Phil DeSemlin, the Achilles to my filly, grill co-writer Philippa Boyens on the minutiae, the first movie in the trilogy, An Unexpected Journey. If you haven't seen the film yet, pause this and take the nearest available bunny sled to a multiplex. If you have seen it, prepare for 30 minutes of revealing chat, which takes in everything from Peter Jackson's cameo to the shocking truth behind Sebastian the Hedgehog. Enjoy. Philip Boyens, we're really thrilled to welcome you into the Empire podcast. Thank you for, for finding time to come and talk to us about, about The Hobbit. You're very welcome. Appreciate it. I thought a nice place to start would be just personally, mm. did you have a favourite moment in this film that you can share with us? Was there one thing that you really loved above all else? Yes, there was actually. Um, and uh, I saw it in the rushes and literally texted Martin Freeman after I saw it um, and it is I, it's the moment I can say it now can't I yes it's the moment when he doesn't kill Gollum because mm. it's um, there's there's no dialogue it was just two really great actors um, working with each other and uh, it's it's such a huge moment in the actual canon of Professor Tolkien's mythology that moment and the repercussions you know both forward and backwards are intense um, and uh, but the way in which Martin played it, was, it just reinforced to me exactly why he was the right actor yeah what did he text you back uh, he, yeah he was it was something like that he was like really oh thanks Phil <laughs> okay because you scheduled that that scene specifically I mean we were talking to Andy Serkis about it earlier mm. today and that was the first that those sequences were the first to be shot yes almost to give Martin an entree into the world so he yes. wasn't doing big ensemble scenes to start with he had yes. more intimate moments yes it was um well it and also it's actually quite close to the book that scene um I mean we had to well we worked it up quite a bit and and managed to include Smeagol into the scene along with Gollum because mm. Smeagol doesn't isn't really there in uh in The Hobbit I but enjoyed the line where he goes I know this one <laughs> <laughs> I loved that we know <laughs> good yes yeah. yes we would we, we you know when you have someone like Andy Serkis even though Smeagol do, isn't officially um, sort of as present as he is in um, The Lord of the Rings you know because Andy had already um, brought this character to life in a way that so many people fell in love with I mean we felt we had to honour all of that. So yes, Smeagol makes an appearance. Although we did have actually, we had a, had a debate because um, we named him in the scene, in the writing. And then it was uh, Jabez Olsen, our editor, who, who said, you know, do you really want to do that? Because don't forget, he's forgotten his name in the two towers. It's Frodo who reminds him and, and calls him Smeagol. So if he's so self-aware that he's calling himself Smeagol, they're going to ruin that moment in two towers. And it was like, ah, yes, you're right. So we took it out. When you were writing these, um, did you work from the beginning to the end or were, did you take a set piece like this and write that separately? Just get that out of the way? How did that? Uh, no, that uh, no, we didn't. Um, we, um, we, do, we, the, we spend a lot of time just um, structuring and trying to get the structure right um, before we write anything. Uh, Pete has a sense of some of the big set pieces that he wants to do in terms of the sort of what you call the landmarks of 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 the plot of the of the action of the of the of the book of the journey 
um, and he starts working on those visually really early on in the process so we start to see images coming through before we even start writing sometimes um, which is actually a, a great gift as a as a screenwriter to be able to, to work with a director like that um, but the no we didn't um, we actually the one of the first things I wrote was the very last scene in the film this film that you see because we tried very hard in structuring it to arrive at the door and to get there with the first film we did try to do that but we were losing so much in the process of trying to deliver them to the door because we thought it was a natural ticking clock that is set up quite naturally in, in the story and so we tried to get them to the door literally and then when we found that we couldn't because we were going to lose so much and or or, or or not be able to tell things in a proper way that we um so I, th- I thought, I think I know how we can get to that door. <laughs> and So that was actually one of the very first things I, ever, I, I wrote in this script. Can you share how the film was going to end? Was it with the barrels? Because there's been a lot of speculation. I, I don't know if you want to... Yeah, what we did was... I, let me just say this. We, we arrived our characters at a geographical location and then we, then we went, duh, we need to arrive them at this emotional location, which is really all about the relationship between Bilbo and Thorin. Um, and it wasn't a story thread we wanted to keep going with. And that thread is that um, when, you know, that Thorin has absolutely zero confidence in this little character, doesn't understand really why he's been brought along, which is, you know, not quite as defined in the book as, as we made it. Um, but that's one of the things you have to do when you do an adaptation involving actors who want something to play which I think is a good thing because it's what engages the film audience certainly um, so we, we didn't want to we didn't want to you know keep that thread sort of continually going for another bunch of sequences in the, in the storytelling and um, I think Martin Freeman in particular was really happy to get past that sort of fumbling bumbling sort of I don't really mm. know how to I don't know how to find my courage or whatever um <laughs> Gold isn't really on Thorin's mind at all, is it? To, to, to any great extent, he's really thinking about his homeland. He is, which I guess exactly. uh, changes the dynamic immediately between him and Bilbo in, from the book potentially. Yes, where he has more noble ambitions. Well, we if you look in the appendices though of the Lord of the Rings, that is absolutely, definitely where that comes from. I mean, there's a brilliant piece of writing in the appendices uh, which speaks about Thorin. In fact, we use it, uh, Syrian Holm narrates the moment of him uh, hammering away with the anvil that's actually from the appendices and and he never forgave and he never forgot so actually uh, it was always about homeland I think for Thorin if you take the Hobbit within the context of the whole of the mythology that Professor Tolkien wrote about that story I loved the opening because you, you've got a big job to do to match yeah. the one in Fellowship, which is astonishingly big. Uh, but I think yeah. you pull it off. It's, it, I wanted to stay there and see more of that stuff. Yeah, um, and 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 also, um, you know, just having mentioned um, Syrian Holm, what a brilliant job he did! Mm. <laughs> so so beautifully narrated. I think it's like eight minutes of uh, voiceover. It is. It is. It is. It's eight minutes of voiceover, and and completely engages you in the story. But but also he is speaking to Frodo with great affection, and also it's also slightly confessional because he's uh, he's kind of admitting 
that there was a part of this tale that he did not tell him. And where that comes from is actually from the prologue of Lord of the Rings where um, Professor Tolkien actually tries to... um, and actually also not just a prologue it's actually also in the very opening chapters of the Lord of the Rings but he he tries to I think kind of explain in terms of storytelling the two different versions of that scene between Gollum and and Bilbo Baggins and the finding of the ring and whether or not that last question was a fair question um, or whether the fact that, that Gollum accepted it as a riddle means that it was all fair or whether the ring came to Bilbo through him cheating or whatever but um, but the truth is he never actually told Frodo the truth which I thought was really interesting and I thought well you can take I know it's a small thread of story but we liked the notion that he he says I may while I may have told you the truth I may not have told yeah. you all of it given that this is a spoiler podcast can I ask a question yeah. about Peter's cameo because uh, I, I saw the Stephen Colbert show last week. Yes. Um, he mentioned he was in the first six minutes, so I was keeping an eye out for him when I saw mm. it again. Is he the dwarf that finds the Arkenstone? No, he's not. Oh, my uh, God. No, that's really funny, because that's our, uh, that's actually is a cameo by our um, stunt coordinator, uh, okay. our fight trainer, yeah. Can you, uh, can you, can you give any Can secrets? I tell you yeah. who, it, who it is? He's going to um, drive me mad. Uh, uh, yes, he f- he's someone who's fleeing from the dragon quite ignobly. <laughs> so, yeah. There may have it. been, there may be a bit of pushing and shoving going on. <laughs> not not a noble dwarf, shall we say. Actually, I don't know if I can swear on this. You yes, can. You I can absolutely. absolutely swear. Okay, well, because we did a gag, uh, Richard Armitage and I did a gag when we were doing his ADR. Um, and um, instead of s- telling them to run for their lives, he he um, he managed to quite brilliantly actually in sync say um, as he's as he's hurrying this particular dwarf who shall remain r- remain nameless out of the way and you know away from the dragon. He says, "Get out of the way, you fucking extra!" <laughs> and we didn't tell Pete we'd done it, so we just put it in the mix and. Um, and Pete, being Pete, uh, uh, he just was like, "Okay, all right." Yes, all right. Well, it's in the film now. <laughs> <laughs> you tempted to have a cameo? I don't believe you no, have done never, one yet. Never, no, never, not not happening. <laughs> all right. Um, you mentioned we'd love to know a bit more about the writing process for you, and also for like how how you script the action moments. I mean, for instance, the big sequence in Goblin Town is is that all kind of come out of the, the script or those kind of sequences developed this with previs definitely with previs uh, uh, well put it this way we we try to earn those moments in terms of the storytelling so that you care enough that they survive Goblin Town because mm. if you don't care um, then we're all in trouble but basically when it comes to things like um, you know uh, you know, stone giants like they look up. You know, they they need to find shelter because there's this huge thunderstorm going on. You reach that point where you know, okay, we've hit the stone giants, and basically, Fran and I pretty much just go, "There you go, Pete." <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, this one's your one, um, and uh, you know, you hand it over to him. But he writes actually his big print, as as you know, you call it in a script, which is the descriptive passages. Um, are always brilliant they really give you a strong sense of of what he wants to do and he i have to say he's a bit of a page turner pete when he writes um 
because you, he 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 manages to carry that tension, and you literally want to keep turning the page of the of the script. So yeah, I read an interview with uh, Fran Walsh uh, recently where she um, described your writing process and and talked about how you and her sometimes write in bed in our pajamas. Yes, <laughs> she, yeah, it's like we chucked in the towel. <laughs> we just like uh, uh, yes, no, it's true because we're neighbours, so. Um, uh, my rush hour is navigating um, children and dogs and cats and, and crossing the lawn, and um, and yes, sometimes I have to. I do have to admit, sometimes I we're supposed to be starting at you know a certain time, and you know we know that you know certain things have got to be finished or done because of you know they've got to build the sets for a start and things like that. You know, often it starts with me calling her, and she goes, oh shit I'm not dressed and I go well so I'm not dressed either let's just start rising put the kettle on I'm coming up yeah well pretty much who makes the cocoa (laughs) Um, uh, we both make it actually actually tea it's usually tea I have to say and Peter's a big tea drinker as well he is although not with milk anymore he's gone all herbal has he okay all right Um, are you still writing at the moment when was the last time you wrote a a line obviously five armies is coming up uh, yes, we are. We're still writing. And uh, last time we wrote a line, I think, was we rewrote one of the subtitles in the f- film about, I'd say, about two weeks ago. <laughs> for film... Uh, film one. Oh, for film one, <laughs> yeah. really. So it's interesting. That's a change, isn't it? The uh, the orcs haven't previously talked in orcish, or have they? The black speech. With the black speech. Yes, they have. Yes. They have, they with subtitles. And... Yes, we subtitled them. Um, we... Um, one of the things when the decision was made to be able to make three films was that we wanted to to bring in the character of Azog the Defiler and be able to tell um, the Battle of Moria as I think brilliantly narrated by Ken Stott one of your great British actors that we managed to inveigle down to New Zealand um, and uh, that was something that we that happened partially through the pickups, the the character and development of Azog, the Defiler, great name, um, <laughs> was allowed to happen because we, we the decision was made to make three films. Are there deleted scenes of him defiling things? No, but, <laughs> but the young actor who plays him, Manu Bennett, he's is a, from Spartacus. He's from Spartacus. He's absolutely gorgeous, really gorgeous guy. And um, the girls on the crew decided that we were going to get T-shirts made, which said, "You can defile me anytime." <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's some good merchandise. Yeah. Um, I wanted to. Yeah, I obviously wanted to ask you about Azog, and and I don't know how much he appears in the appendices, but can you can you kind of tell us a little bit about where he came from? And yes, and he's Azog. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I Azog. always Azog. said yeah, Azog. Okay. I was always Azog, and I was also um, s- uh, Smog. We were talking about that with Martin yeah. earlier. And mm. um, he was saying that Peter kind of says it schmaug. Schmaug, yeah. 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 Um, I just out of interest, how do you know how it's pronounced? Uh, because it- we have brilliant dialect coaches, Rasheen Carty who's, uh, who, and Leith McPherson, who both worked on the film, and uh, um, and also uh, David Silo, who does the, uh, the translations for us, uh, who's a Tolkien scholar. There's no Tolkien audio in existence is there I don't believe there is for that particular pronunciation of Smaug but but I, they know I think the argument is it's based on the German and I'm going to say this wrong Smaugen or something so that's where that's why 
It's a German dragon. But, well, mm, I think it's terribly English, actually, if you read the text. <laughs> if, he has a, if he has a German accent in the first one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, so uh, Azog. Yes. Oh, yes. Going back to Azog, the defiler, comes from the appendices. Mm. Um, and he, he is actually meant to be dead and is actually killed by a character that we meet later on in, in this story. Um, but um, it, he wasn't much use to us dead mainly because the revenge had been taken and we needed for it not to have been taken and we also needed um, uh, we thought a little bit more of a powerful through line between the 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 orc the giant orc who who beheaded the king the dwarf king and the revenge that 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 uh, dwarf king's grandson would take and it felt like to then remove it again by having it be um, the son of the giant orc who beheaded the king whose grandson was going you know it was just it was too 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 much between too many them. layers yeah yeah and the relationship between the goblins and the orcs mm. because there's kind of a hierarchy that you see in the scene in goblin town mm. and um the, the message is sent to mm. the pale orc mm. how, how did that kind of dynamic play out for you in terms of the storyline that was um, well. It's never explicitly said by Professor Tolkien that that um, that there is uh, that they are lesser, that the goblins are lesser. Um, I think, although maybe it is. But 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 what I what I what I do know is that that, that goblins are orcs, and so therefore, and the Gundabad orcs are seemingly much more powerful. They certainly can march, um, although in The Hobbit they march under the cover not so much of darkness but a, a cloud cover of these giant bats and things um, but 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 the, the goblins feel inferior just certainly slightly more cowardly it has given rise to an office favourite a new office favourite character the yeah. uh, little goblin that's in a sort of bucket oh, <laughs> that goes yes. down the zip line that, uh, with that wonderful laugh the scribe fantastic. the goblin scribe so is that, where did that come from? that's Kieran Shah who is our um, double he's our stunt double uh, sorry our scale double actually he is, does a lot of stunts he was um, Frodo's um, scale double uh, and he's a, he's actually an actor in his own right, and um, so Pete wanted to give him a role, and he gave him <laughs> the role of of the Goblin Scribe. He's got a, hopefully got we, you'll get to see a little if they do an extended cut, you'll see a little bit more of him. But um, that that wonderful cackle is what, yeah. genuinely him. Yeah, it's a memorable but, moment. Yeah, and a, another character that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've we, we've taken a shine to is uh, Sebastian the Hedgehog, and I guess that that feeds into Radagast and um, yes, the expansion of him yes. into the story. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? How that worked out? Yes, well, that was Pete. That was that was Peter. The um, and he um, we talked about Radagast, and um, he asked you know he asked me what I thought. How, you know, I mean, in terms of the storytelling, we wanted we have uh, two very powerful wizards in Saruman the White and Gandalf the Grey. We wanted um, a contrast to that. I think um, we know from when I started talking to Peter about what the character could be and how he could be different. I loved the fact that he was slightly forgetful or seemingly that way, and and slightly more uh, naive. Uh, in in um, the Lord of the Rings, as he's duped by Saruman, and so we came up with that ex- eccentric, gentle, um, a, a, a uh, 
wizard who is spends most of his time a little bit like St. Francis, I think, less interested in the ways of the world and more interested in the natural world. So, And as soon as we came up with that character, I mean, Pete just went to town. And, and one day I remember he said, I've got a, a, an idea about how he can travel. And I said, OK, well, what's that? And he said, but, but a giant sleigh. And I was like... Oh, okay, but that's slightly weird. You know, I was immediately thinking of reindeer and Santa Claus and, oh, is this a good idea? And he said, drawn by huge bunnies. At which point I really did think he was on something. But, of course, it's brilliant. And um, when you see it visually, that's why he does what he does. It's quite a Lewis Carroll-y kind of feel it, to it. It is, it is. But those, they were actually based on... Um, some rabbits that Peter had seen and if you go online and google German greys you'll see the biggest bunnies you've ever seen in your life but they're massive mm. I enjoyed um, Saruman's <laughs> I would love to see those two characters together because I just enjoyed Saruman's like offhand remark about the mushrooms yes. but you know obviously in Fellowship he does that line to Gandalf that your love of the halflings, halflings leaf is mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine what he thinks of, uh, of Radagast yes are we going to get to see those two characters together at any point Ah, I can't tell you. Possibly so. Okay, all right. I was just going to ask if we were going to see more Sebastian, to be honest. Sebastian. (laughs) I'd like to see Sebastian in the Battle of Five Armies. Rallying the other hedgehogs. No, I think he stole enough of the scenes, perhaps. (laughs) But he is very gorgeous. He is lovely. Um, CGI, by the way. You know, I know. The wetter work is astonishing on it. I know. I was actually in New Zealand at the time when there was a lot of debate about where the film was actually going to be shot. And I know for a while, England was a possibility. Mm-hmm. How far did you... I mean, it, for me, it seems inconceivable that a Tolkien film wouldn't be made in New Zealand now. Um, how far did you have to go down the sort of location scouting route in the UK oh, at that point? they did. They did. Um, in fact, the book's probably sort of buried in Pete's office still. They... Um, there were some very beautiful locations, of course, that you could, can be found here. Were they in were the out the um, location kind of spread around the country, or were there any particular areas that you'd? Yeah, no, they were actually, um, and um, they did have a bit of trouble with the mountains. We don't really do mountains; we have hills. We do hills. have hedgehogs. Got Primrose <laughs> Hill and hedgehogs. But um, no, I ca- uh, that it got it got uh, uh, it it got to the point where they were. Um, sort of suggesting to me that did you know would my you know would would I take my nanny with me at which point I was like you know do you want to have the conversation with your nanny about going to England for like 18 months and that's when it started to get way too real and it was like oh no this can't not not because I don't love England and um you know English film crews and of course brilliant English actors but but it is New Zealand I think the Middle Earth there is something yeah. right about that mix I read a uh, New Yorker piece on Guillermo del Toro a while back and it, it described a few of his ideas the dwarves were going to have spiky helmets I remember being being part of it can you um, can you sort of say anything about how the Guillermo draft was different to what we've what we've ended up with or- yeah um I mean, it seems a bit unfair because we didn't really get to do as much work on it so sure um I know I would truly honestly have loved to have seen the film he would have made of, of The Hobbit. It would have been different. I think Bilbo was um, younger, felt younger, not necessarily in age, more sort of naive. Um, I think Pete's got 
uh, you know, we down being colonials down in New Zealand, sort of grew up on those great English comedies and things like Dad's Army, dare I say, and you know, you know those wonderful characters um, that inhabit English humour. So, I think the humour would have been diff- more different. And um, Pete has a natural affinity for that sort of. Um, I think we all do for well, I hope for that English sensibility. I enjoyed the stuffiness of you know the pocket handkerchief and yes, all that stuff. I know, nice. terribly yeah. English. Yeah. Well, was there a Guillermo idea that that made it into the film that perhaps wouldn't have been in the film if he hadn't been involved? Um, I think you know, just in broad strokes, I think the the way in which um, I you know what I've found is that he helped me fall back in love with Middle Earth. His enthusiasm was boundless, and he's a very passionate guy. He loves fantasy, loves the genre, has incredibly vivid imagination. So um, I think he helped me fall back in love with the world of Middle Earth. And I, there was a bit of trepidation there, you know, because you don't want to sort of repeat yourself. Can you give us, I mean, I know you. this has been a spoiler podcast, but you don't want to spoil the next films, but can you give us just something on kind of what we can look forward to in The Desolation? The Desolation. Just, I mean, just, just, I mean, we've seen some images of, mm. of, of Bilbo and the massive pile of gold, and we talked mm. to Martin Freeman about the scale and the scale of the sets look incredible. Mm. Lake Town, he loved it. And Lake Town as well. Oh, Lake um, Town's extraordinary, yes. Well, Stephen Fry is um, a treat to look forward to. Um, Stephen, Stephen was working with Peter on Dam Busters. Yes. Was that Was that a factor in his involvement in this or was that just incidental? I think Pete, we, we've all been huge fan of Stephen's so I think we probably, we probably would have gone there anyway but um, uh, I think it made it easier because it was it was a it was an email kind of conversation as opposed to sort of having to formally approach somebody through you know agents and various things. But um uh, but also another thing to look forward to is a wonderful English actor called Ryan Gage um, who plays Alfred and works brilliantly with um, the master of Lake Town and is very, very funny. I mean, we've got... I think the the wealth of new characters that you get to meet that invigorate the storytelling just as I, I believe, um, you know, you meet Gollum for the first time in The Two Towers, you meet... Rohan, you know the, the the culture of the great horseman in 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 that tale. Um, that you you know all of those things that helps and Treebeard. Um, that's that's what happens in this film. You get to meet Bayon. You get to meet um, the elves of Mirkwood. You get to meet um, Orlando Bloom again. I don't think I'm. That's a too big a spoiler. I think people realise that we've we've shot something with him. Um, and you also get to meet his father. Who was um, brilliantly played by by Lee Pace on an elk? On an elk, a majestic elk. Yes, yeah. yes. And what can you say about Toriel? Because that's a, that's a, a kind of a new character, isn't it? Yeah, Tariel. Sorry, <laughs> just uh, giving you like dialect coaching I know, over here. Yeah, well, sorry, yeah. sorry, we'll have, we'll have sorry, a, we'll sorry, have a sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Tariel. Tariel. Cardiol, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. Daughter of Mirkwood, it means. Um, well, she was a creation. Uh, we deliberately came up with her because we could feel the weight of. As much as you love these um, rambunctious and you know tough and in some cases quite sexy, surprisingly sexy dwarves, <laughs> um, as well as Bilbo and and Gandalf. You you know you fall in love with these characters and 
it, it does become a little bit unrelentingly male and we just knew that you know you need it needs that leaven and um um and it's about adding that dimension to the storytelling it's not about sort of like selling dolls or merchandising or supposedly appealing to a female audience because I think women are quite capable of loving a story with no women in it just for the sake of loving the story but her character felt right it's um it's is an invention of ours but it's hopefully an invention within the spirit of Professor Tolkien and actually her story thread um, the germs of it, the seeds of it lie within the Lord of the Rings and a piece of storytelling that we never got to tell um, that involves an elf okay. yes. I know Arwen uh, at one point was going to get involved in Helm's Deep and that battle Yes. Uh, why not bring Arwen back for these films given that she is around well because there's a, we did actually think about that. Actually, really? we thought about every. I mean, I you know, look, we Aragorn would bring well. everybody back absolutely, just because we love all of them. We love the characters, but we also love the actors. And if we could, we'd probably try and find a way to, you know, get them all in there. But but um, in the end, you um, you know, it had to feel right and um, had to fit, and so it had. So it it happens. For the hopefully for the right reason, Galadriel returns for a very specific reason that has everything to do with Gandalf's story, and we know that part of the story because of the Lord of the Rings. So, in The Hobbit, he disappears on the borders of Merk. Well, it's not the, his first disappearance from the story, but it's it's his most significant on the borders of Merkwood. He deliberately leaves the dwarves and Bilbo to fend for themselves and go off and do something incredibly important, and we get to tell you what he's doing and show you what he's doing and that part of the story involves Galadriel as a member of the White Council mm. I think we have to let you go now unfortunately that's I right. wanted to ask one final question yes, if that's right. okay again on the Stephen Colbert show he said that he came down to the set mm-hmm. and there was a Tolkien quiz and he, he said was at a party to, <laughs> and he said that he managed to beat you in the quiz yes he did what was the question that you got wrong Oh no no no! He he won. He's to, he's he's told everybody he smoked me. N- number one, he did not. It, he won by three, and actually some of those answers are in dispute by his own admission because he wrote me a note afterwards and said I think I might have got some of them wrong. But the truth was, Steve, uh, Stephen Fry was actually the compare. Pete had this he thought hilarious idea, and then everyone had had a little bit of wine by then, and that that we should have this uh, talking geek off. And the truth was, there was about 100 people at the party, and there was probably only Stephen and myself who knew whether we were getting the answers right or wrong. <laughs> um, but he, to, to give him his due, he he did beat me. But I did ask him some questions that he couldn't answer. Could so he, he pronounce Tariel? Well, no, that wouldn't have been fair. Because <laughs> 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 it's just your character. <laughs> no, but, no, but he, um, he does have an extraordinary love of... Um, those works and uh, I have a great deal of respect for him even though he did beat me (laughs) and I wouldn't I don't know if I'd take him on again I have to say well not sober anyway (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much thank you you. it's been a pleasure thank you